Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. It's snowing here in Wisconsin, so I'm hoping that my Wi-Fi holds out really well. And my, my guest today is in sunny California, and I just love how technology brings us together. I want to invite anybody who feels moved by this podcast. And this podcast is really a, it's a conversation of hope. It's a conversation of spiritual discovery and awakening and just learning about all kinds of different people and their spiritual paths. And I'm hoping it encourages you on your spiritual path uh, to find your own way, your own divine nature. And that's, that's really my prayer for the, the humanity, is that we each awaken to the divinity within us and just recognize how amazing we are as sovereign beings. Um, so if you are inspired by the podcast, as I've said before, would love to have a five-star rating from you. For some reason, Apple took <laughs> took half my ratings away, so I need to, to make them up. Um, also, if you feel moved to donate, especially at the end of the year, you can find me at thespiritualform.org. And you can just make a donation there to support this ministry and to support this voice in the world. I'd like to introduce my guest now. Charlotte Lorraine Cressy is on a quest to manifest a paradigm shift for humanity in the Department of Love. Charlotte holds a master's degree in women's spirituality and a bachelor's degree in women's studies. She also holds multiple certifications in and possesses a deep grasp of a right a variety of subjects such as veganism, women's history, human potential, laws of life, consciousness, and the subtle realms. She's an active participant in the global movement to co-create a kinder world for all beings. Charlotte's forthcoming books, the first one is called Like a Virgin, Dating the Aphrodite Way, and the second is The Vegan Paradigm. They both distill her research of over 20 years to help each person shift their perception of reality, open to a higher and deeper understanding of their potential, and harness their personal power to live their greatest destiny. Charlotte's business, Embody Love, serves a broader vision to co-create heaven on earth and to begin today. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you, Carol. Yes, let's begin today. So let's begin today. <laughs> Yeah, today we're going to be talking about restoring the authentic spiritual power in women and men as it relates to love and the dating process. And I'm really excited about this conversation. This is something that I think is so important. But before we get into that, Charlotte, I'd like for you to share with us whatever you want to tell us, um, somewhat briefly, <laughs> so we don't take up the whole hour, of your story, your your spiritual awakening, or the story that that brought you to where you are today in writing these books and, and helping humanity in this way. Thank you, Carol. I'm so grateful for you being here and everyone joining in. I see these types of conversations as a gigantic circle, and that even though the people listening in are going to be listening in the future, that we are all connecting with this greater understanding and a larger impulse that wants to come forward for humanity. So with that, yes, I'd love to share that, my story. And I also just want to really thank you, Reverend Carol, for everything that you're doing and just bow down with reverence to you and to really acknowledge the importance of your work. You host retreats, 
you are a minister and thousands and millions are blessed by the work that you're doing. And I just bless everything you're doing and those positive ripple effects going out in the world. And also everyone listening in, I know that you are individuals of great potential and great action. And that's why we're here today. So yes, a little bit about my past and how I discovered the Aphrodite way. So a lot of what shapes my beliefs is the fact that I'm an independent thinker. And I began asking questions very early. And I also had a spiritual connection that I believe all children have, but many people through the course of becoming an adult disconnect from the spiritual awareness. So when I was a little girl at age three, I asked my parents, did a cow have to die for me to eat the flesh they had fed me? I started to consider the soul of things such as grass. Was there one individual soul, multiple souls? I was thinking very deeply. And um, I also grew up in a house that was haunted. So I knew that there was life beyond. And I was, I came into the world very curious about life, very concerned about doing it right in terms of living a life of integrity and just making sure that I was honoring my feelings and my natural impulse to care for animals. So I began to read philosophy very young and Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Carol. The way I see myself simply is as a philosopher and lover of life. Those are the two main things that have shaped my life. And I began reading philosophy, animal rights philosophy, and other things early on. At first, I thought that to change the world, I should become the president of the United States. And I read more about Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and some of the founding fathers as a young girl. And I thought, that's how I'm going to stop people from killing animals. I'll make it illegal. And then I I learned that actually uh, the way that you create such massive positive transformation is by awakening these truths in individuals, helping people reach these conclusions on their own. You can't legislate compassion, but you can ignite it in the hearts of human beings. So A spiritual experience that happened when I was 12 years old was the death of my grandfather. And that up-leveled my interest in and ability to connect to spirits and whatever you believe, whether you believe spirits are energy that's left over or, you know, make of this what you will. But from my experience with my grandfather's transition to heaven, I feel I became somewhat um, more open to the realm, not just of dead people, but also to the connection to the divine. And we all have different beliefs about the divine, but I do believe that there is overall one source, one creator, and we all call it by many different things. And that's the beauty of life. But um, anyway, so What happened when I was 12 was my grandfather was dying of cancer and it was toward the end. And I stayed in the hospital with him while he was dying for three days. And my family would go back to the hotel, but something came over me and I wouldn't leave his side. And I just tended to him. And really what it was, was the inner priestess, the ability to know how to ritualize, how to celebrate life, how to 
acknowledge both endings and beginnings and the crucial importance of this, which has been lost in our modern culture. And he told me about leaving his body. And he said he was at 10,000 feet and all these things he shared with me about going to heaven. And the doctors, my parents dismissed it and said, he's on morphine. And Mm -hmm. he didn't know what uh, Norris and I were up to (laughs) the deep conversations we were having. But anyway, so, and then he died at 1 12 AM. I was 12 years old. It was 1996. It was the 24th of the month. And so all of these sixes also came into the picture in my life. And I began to have what I call sixicities. Uh, Carl Jung calls synchronicity, a meaningful coincidence. I'm sure some of you are familiar with synchronicity. So in my life, I have not only synchronicity, but sixicities. And the number six comes up all the time. We can talk more about that in a minute, but that was part of my awakening to Aphrodite and her beauty, her power, her love, everything that she stands for and all goddesses stand for and the best of humanity also embodies. So I began asking questions very young. Uh, That was just a natural spiritual experience. Then I started studying yoga, meditation, all those things, and also really getting involved in animal rights in my early 20s. And in terms of dating and relationships and my vision for the ideal marriage that I wanted to create, that was something I had my eye on very young, watching my parents and liking a lot of parts of the relationship, but then also wondering about my mom's own fulfillment on her destiny and unveiling her gifts as a writer. And, um, and so she had all these books around and I read all the dating philosophies of the nineties. She didn't have the rules, but I purchased the rules when I was in my early twenties. I think about 20 years old, I discovered the rules and she had books like men are from Mars. Women are from Venus, John Gray, and all these different things. And the proper care and feeding of husbands. Some of you might be familiar with that book from the 90s. Anyway, so it was just an interest of mine was like, okay, so how do I do relationship? And then I also was raised in a time when feminism, the second wave was kind of finishing up and the theories had been written from the 50s all the way through the 70s. And some considered the second wave to go into the 80s and 90s even, but this was kind of what I see as the wrapping up of the second wave. And the impact of that as a young girl uh, coming of age during that time was that during high school, there was a lot of feminist theory taught to me. And we learned about the beauty myth. And that's a philosophy and book by Naomi Wolf. And we watched a film about the harms of advertising by Jean Kilborn and all these things. And I thought, gosh, what kind of woman am I going to be? Like, how do I, how am I going to do relationships if I'm being taught? Like on the one hand, I want a traditional marriage in many ways, but then I also want to be free to be a leader, to co-create a vegan world. And there were some parts of feminism that I absolutely love and some parts of more traditional, what some people call femininity, which we'll get into um, that I questioned, well, many parts of it I liked, some parts I questioned. And I, I realized in my early 20s that I needed to develop my own theory. At age 23, I had really tied up some loose ends and put on a beautiful bow with some 
baggage that I had in my life. And I thought, okay, I'm done with all that. I'm 23 now. I'm ready to create a vegan world and I'm ready to find my Mr. Right. And I'm still in the process of manifesting my legendary love, but dating the Aphrodite way is something I've been working on ever since my early 20s. And it's something I've started coaching women on. I also did all kinds of certifications in terms of the rules philosophy, but I really bring it together with my deep inquiry into ancient goddess cultures and shared power between men and women and asking questions like, how do we not just disrupt, which seems to be a buzzword nowadays, disrupt the paradigm, but it's really crucial that we discover as a culture and as individuals, how do, how do we weave harmony back into society and into the self? So those are some of the things that my work focuses on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Charlotte. There's a lot in there. And I want to reflect on a few things before we go forward and talk about the Aphrodite way, because um, I mean, I made notes and mm-hmm. I think that this, you, you kind of open saying that you're an independent thinker. And I, I think that is wonderful. I've been thinking about like, what, what would be an amazing identity statement? And that would be an amazing identity statement. I'm, I'm an independent thinker. And, and the way you describe yourself at age three, I mean, I think they, most of us think know that when when babies come into the world, they're, there's they're they're coming from the divine. They're they're coming from from spirit, and and so that we we they come in as close to God as anybody is. And 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 again, people know who listen to my podcast know that I'm not stuck on the word God. It's what I use. You could use any other word for it, but stuck to that creative force that that's under everything. And and you did not lose it for a long time, if if ever. I mean, I I love that you. You came in curious about life, and you stayed in integrity. And then you went through this phase of, I want to be president. I went through that phase, too. <laughs> I was 14. I want to be president. I thought I could fix everything being president. <laughs> and then you end up realizing exactly that, you know what? You can impact people you know, more just one-on-one and, and being who you are and finding your authentic self. So I love that part of your journey. And and then you went through m- even more, but... but re- most recently said something that you you needed to develop your own theory after you saw all the stuff that your mom was doing and everything else. So I love that. I love being an independent thinker and and recognizing how you can make a difference, you know, one person at a time, and then needing to develop your own theory, which kind of goes back to being an independent thinker. We don't have to buy into what's been handed to us. We can look at it, use it, and then and then say, does this work for me? And is there something else? And what is my own way of thinking? And so now you're here to, to um, it sounds like your purpose is to, to weave, you said, weave harmony back into society. And I love that because it's so gentle. I love even the, the verb weave. It's so gentle. It's not like, it's, it's like weave is just a nice, you know, what if our, what if our society was woven the fabric of society had harmony and love and care for everyone woven into its fabric. Um, so I just love your whole introduction, what you're all about. Um, so why don't we go into talking about the Aphrodite way? Um, who is Aphrodite, for those who don't know? And what what is it about her that um, inspires you? And, and what is the Aphrodite way that you're talking about? Yes, thank you. And I love what you just highlighted. I want to underscore that Aphrodite and all women and all people 
can be fierce and gentle simultaneously. We don't have to be one or the other. So Aphrodite nowadays is thought of as a goddess of love. She has been sexually objectified and people think of her as like the sex goddess or something. However, she's much more than that. Not only is there evidence of that in ancient texts that she was a creatrix goddess in some mythologies, she's the creator of the world. She is just as much a stern mother as she is a lover. She is so many different things. And if you look at any uh, any goddess, they all goddesses, all goddess mythology was conveyed through the oral tradition. And then we have some notes that were written down, some stories, Aphrodite's largest amount of references are in the Odyssey by Homer. However, there's a lot of, there are many, many other references to her. And she also is connected to, some say she's connected to Ishtar and Inanna and goes back to Africa. So there's, Hmm. we could talk about Aphrodite's mythology on another show, but Aphrodite, when it comes to love and why I chose her for the one goddess that I wanted to use to represent romantic relationships was because she is the lover of all things gentle and soft and sweet. You just mentioned the gentleness and she is associated with satin and velvet. And I would add faux fur because we know that the mythology of the goddesses continues today, right? We don't have to say what was written before. We're still creating religion today. That's my belief. So she's associated with everything pleasure, everything soft and sacred and beautiful and meaningful. And she was also a protector of animals. And she's everything sweet. But like I mentioned, she's also a creatrix. She's, in my experience, a stern mother. She told me one time, look, Charlotte, I gave you life and I can take it back. If you don't get on purpose, you're going to die. (laughs) So Aphrodite was also known as a virgin goddess. And one of the things that's really important when it comes to righting the wrongs of modern dating is to address celibacy and to understand the importance of the sanctity of our body and the beautiful sacredness of sexuality. So it's also the dating to Aphrodite way is also about honoring the whole self and the large spectrum of life and making sure that we don't get wrapped up in the more recent pornographic sexual obsessions that most people think, think of as love and dating. They think love, when you say romantic, they think it has to do with sex or that even when you talk about love and relationships, it seems to be very much reduced to sex, very much reduced to the genitals. And pleasure is something that can be experienced in all aspects of the body, in so many different aspects of life. I find just as much pleasure from looking at a rose and inhaling the beautiful aroma or helping an animal in need, I get just as much spiritual ecstasy out of that as I could anything else. In fact, probably a higher degree 
of pleasure. And so dating the Aphrodite way is also about working with archetypes and icons, whether it be Aphrodite or whatever your path or whatever sets you on fire, whether you're from a more, whatever path, whatever culture path, we can find icons and archetypes for you. For me, I love Aphrodite, but she really helps us connect with that fiery sense of purpose and clarity where she charts her own course. She chooses her destiny. And if she wants to be celibate, she is. If she wants to take lovers until she finds her legendary love, she does, but she renews herself. Aphrodite's mythology has her renewing her virginity in uh, in beautiful waters. So part of the rituals of Aphrodite have to do with coming back to oneself. Hmm. And yeah, so. Very interesting. I So I'm, I'm a mother of three daughters. And luckily at this point, I think they've all found their person. Two of them are married and, and my youngest daughter, I think she's found her person. But I've watched them go through the dating thing. I've watched this whole thing that you're talking about, this confusion as I see it, this confusion of um, hooking up, <laughs> uh, just that like, like, like I am a free, powerful woman, and so I can do whatever I want. And I'm not saying my daughters did that. What I'm saying is that being out there in the world and that boys, young men, that there's really no less responsibility in it all. And it's all about kind of getting to that sex act. And it, 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 it hurts my soul. It hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because it, it looks to me and I've seen this with both men and women, the just kind of the, the loss of the self through not really taking into this account the sacredness, the fullness that that connecting at that in that place and in that way, I believe is is meant, was created for us for you know something to be very sacred and something special. And that we think that that's the pleasure we have to go get. Like it has to be pursued. We got to get that. We got to get that tonight. <laughs> and and there's so much beauty around, like you say. And that we have multiple senses, and we live in this beautiful world. Um, so what I'm 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 looking forward to getting more into Aphrodite's way. But I I really can tune into this idea that there's another way of relating to each other, men and women, another way of connecting to finding our soul person and another way of doing that dance that completely respects the other and completely respects one's own bodily autonomy which is also a sacred vessel right i mean it's like our body houses our souls and it's we 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 have so much disembodiment where our souls are outside the the body or we we uh, we minimize our body and we abuse our body, or we just discard it and don't think it's important. And so I think what you're talking about, and I want you to get into it more so that I don't pre um, presume anything, but part of this is just uh, honoring the body, honoring the self, honoring the soul, honoring the divine, and and also being fierce and also being kind and gentle and allow the full nature to express ourselves. Absolutely. And when you were talking about the problematic dating approach of our modern era, I noticed you using the word getting coming yes. up. And that's one of the key teachings is that if you look at the wording of the way people speak about sexual intercourse, the phrase getting some comes yes. up. And you can imagine two young, 
teenage boys. And let's say that the boy went out with a young girl the night before. My guess is that he may ask a question such as, did you get some? Mm -hmm. And that is reflective of the transactional nature of relationships, the transactional nature of relationships, which has been imposed upon us and which we must get rid of and shift into the more authentic and joyful experience of shared energy, shared power. Transactional is about taking something from someone, something that feminism has worked to undo. And we have to really think about dating and relationships and courtship as a central site of action and transformation when it comes to changing women's power in the world. Because if we see sexuality as getting something from someone, and then now the modern thing is for women to quote, get some from men and to think we can have sex like men with no consequences to our bodies or to our souls. Um, That's a whole nother conversation, but yeah, the transactional relationship is, that's really the, that's what I see as the overarching theme. When I look at a lot of the media and the books, it's not very deep. And that's why it was very important for me to take the time to flesh out these ideas because there's really a missing gap in feminist theory. There are many missing gaps in feminist theory, but I really felt like, well, where are the women who wanted to weave things back together? Because we did as feminist theorists name relationship as the most important aspect of society. And the problem with a lot of feminist theories is that they want, they set out to disrupt it. They said marriage is a form of legalized prostitution. I used to repeat that line all the time. And when my mom wanted me to do the cotillion, I told the ladies at a women's board for the big cotillion, it's like a coming out party. Uh, I was there at the table with all these, you know, very highfalutin ladies. And I said, Marriage is a form of legalized prostitution. And I'm also not going to wear the kid skin gloves. So I don't think I'll do your cotillion. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, I feel I was really indoctrinated into a lot of it back then. And so it's really important for me. uh, Like, I love getting into, okay, how do I make this work? How do we, how do we as women make this work? And my hope is with my teachings is that I provide inspiration and a jumping off point for women. And then they can figure out some more of the details in terms of how they want to do their marriages and their life, how they want the structure to be. I don't prescribe those types of details, like who washes the dishes. But um, yeah, so you were, what were you asking me, Carol? <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I, I'm, just, I'm just reflecting back to you because I think you exactly pointed out what's happening with that, that getting some. It's a transaction. And it is kind of designed to pull power away from one person and add it to another person. It, and it really is, I think what you're saying is responsible for the many of the power inequities. The, the, a lot of, I've had a lot of guests on that talk about shared power. And, and this is like, if, if you're trying to get something from someone, and that's actually what you're talking, you're, you're referring to this holy act as, then 
everything's been dumbed down. I feel bad for men that they've been taught that too. I want to talk for a second about men. It's incredibly important that we save men from this delusion because millions have been indoctrinated into being distracted and obsessed with their genitals. And I want to be clear. One of the primary premises of my idea is that men crave sex women crave security. We'll talk about that. So I do think men and women are differently, but Mm -hmm. the pornographic culture, which has reduced people to um, a lot of brain chemicals that are very addictive. And it's because it's an addiction, it has to be constantly escalating. And we're talking about a different type of pornography that actually it's not erotica. Erotica is the depiction of lovemaking, pornography represents men dominating women. And we could have a separate conversation on that. But when they try to do research on men who watch pornography, it's very hard to find men who don't watch it. Guess what? They cannot find men who haven't watched it at least once. And it's certainly very difficult to find anyone who hasn't even watched it in the last year. Any men. Mm. I think the last statistic was less than 10% of men that have not watched it in the last year. So whatever part of their life it is, uh, for the majority of humanity and with the proliferation of the internet, we have more and more people addicted to pornography and that is not authentic connection with a human. Also, for those who are single, they're being trained to be obsessed with their genitals too, with vibrators and all these things. I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that, but I just don't think that it's it should be a focus of one's life. And we're we're pushed like I feel like on uh, the whole obsession with the genitals and sexuality is pushed on women, and it's like we're going to be more empowered by imitating men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with masturbation. However, um, the implication and the like the way that you look at it in the general culture and it's very crass is women who are getting married on their, you know, their, uh, bridesmaids. What's the party called the night before your wedding, the bridal shower, um, like penis necklaces. And like, are you kidding? That has nothing to do with marriage. (laughs) Are you familiar with all that junk? I'm not familiar with all that junk. (laughs) I'm telling you, that's what a lot of women do nowadays is they go out for their bridal shower. And it's like, well, we're just like, we're just like the guys that are bachelorette party. Sorry, not bridal yeah. shower, bachelorette yeah. party. We should be like the guys and get a stripper. We, you know, we should have a male stripper and we have a friend who's turning 60. Let's get her like a vibrator and a stripper and be like, yay, you just got divorced. And this is great. Or women who are married, people ask questions or people who are in the realm of dating talk about how do you not let the spark go out? Well, there's so much more to your marriage than sexuality. And I can tell you more about how I think you can keep the spark alive. And that is by keeping a distance. Even when you get married, you've got to have your own life. And just like Aphrodite, she holds her power. She holds something back. It's that mystery. It's that sense of being self-contained, self-defined, and self-reverencing that makes other people want to be around you. And if we're going to talk about getting some, it is that exact quality of holding your own and being self-possessed that also makes people want to get some. 
Yeah, I see. I see that. Yeah. So like keeping keeping the mystery, keeping yourself as a mystery or some aspect of yourself or some some way of being that 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 you're I can see that. And I can see that the goddesses did that. You know, it's like who are those? Who are those? I, I'm interested. I want to keep going forward. So, okay. So today we've kind of talked about what's the way the world is today mm -hmm. and the confusion that we uh, we have through our, our courtship and how we've kind of relegated to body parts and, and power dynamics and whatnot. So how do we make this transition? What, what, I mean, I think that there, there are probably some people thinking, oh, you're crazy, you know, uh, or we're both crazy, you know, this is the way it is, and this is so cool. Um, but I'm sure there's others that are like, you know, I want something different. Nothing is working for me. I don't like this dating scene. I don't feel fulfilled at either at all. I I don't like this hookup culture. I'm not feeling empowered. I've I feel like I'm losing my power. I feel like I'm losing aspects of my being. So what what do we do with people who are interested in that? They and they they want to learn more about this Aphrodite way or or. What, what's the transition? What would you, what do you do with people? Thanks for asking. So for people who are interested, first one has to decide what you want for your life. I don't think you can figure out your romantic relationships until you have your relationship with the divine figured out. I think you have to have your life in order in terms of priorities. So when it comes to my theory, um, it's really about first slowing down and learning to clear out any false assumptions the culture put on you. Um, whether you're 18 or 80, you can have the legendary love of your dreams. It's going to happen in divine timing. You can't control it, but it is important to have a vision for one's life and to have a strategy. So how do you direct your destiny when it comes to love? First, you have to know what you want and it's also essential that you really get to know who you are and know your own power and know your own value. And in a nutshell, dating the Aphrodite way in terms of how you do it is to do less, know that you're a queen and have standards. Okay. Do less, know that you're a queen and have standards. Now I'm guessing that Many people have troubles in this arena because they have experienced trauma and they have um, patterns that they inherited from parents or ancestors and some healing to do um, because they they haven't had any example of what a good relationship looks like and or they wouldn't even know where to start with knowing their own value. I mean... Many of us, some of us were fortunate that we had parents that instilled value in us. Others did not have parents that instilled value in them at all. So it feels like to me that those people would be starting at a different point. And so, so there's work to be done to this step of knowing your own value. Absolutely. And that's part of the spiritual path is when you develop that relationship with the divine, you realize that there's... Nothing you can do that would make you more worthy of love. And there's also nothing you can do that would make you less worthy of love. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's your birthright. The very fact that you are born on this beautiful planet means that you have something to give to the world. You have something worthwhile to enjoy in your lifetime. And you have every right 
to manifest and enjoy everything that your heart desires. So that can be an individual spiritual quest. My guess is many of the people listening in already have their spiritual path down pat. I think that there is a lot of deprogramming to be done. And that's why I focus in my work on paradigm shifts and teach people specific techniques, how to shift their paradigms, whether it be around love or whatever. It's very important you deprogram yourself from the ideas that are put upon women, such as you have to look a certain way to manifest love and the idea that you're in competition with other women. There's no competition with anyone else in this lifetime. It's about creation. And especially when you understand, and this is what we do in the work that I offer when I work with private clients. And when I launch my online course is when you start to understand that the only game you're playing is being your best self. When you know that's, that's what you're up to in this lifetime, there is no competition, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what I'm up to is being my best Charlotte. And a lot of the standards we have, they have to do with beauty and love and all those things have to be more deeply understood because um, we think of beauty as something that some women have and others don't. Well, when people use that term for beauty, they're probably talking about the formulaic, static um, image that you could take, for example, you could take an image of women who were considered most beautiful throughout time and dissect geometrically their symmetry of their faces and the golden egg ratio and all these things, which I have seen been done before by plastic surgeons. and then how to create the most beautiful woman, get the implants, you know, do all those things to make you look like the most beautiful woman. And that's not at all necessary. You want to present your best self, of course, in life, but that is that has to be defined by the woman herself. But we're just talking about appearances and how it could be like, you know, kind of standardized and then evaluated. That's not what Aphrodite is about. That's not what beauty is about. That is a product of the image-based culture that has developed ever since the advent of television. So if you look back throughout history, yes, of course, people were concerned about, they had a standard of beauty, there was artwork and all those things, yes. But beauty is experienced. And so for women to become empowered and self-defining in the area of love, they must also do their own introspection and discovery of what beauty is like to them. I had to train myself to see just as much beauty in a dead branch or stick on the ground and in the dirt as I do in the rose and all the veins all over my legs and see them like, oh my gosh, these veins remind me of the leaves on the trees and I'm a reflection of nature. And those types of things. So there's ways of uh, shifting the narrative that you've been fed. And then you also have to learn to not be exposing yourself to all that input. If you're exposing yourself to lots of images and ideas about what matters, that's all going into your subconscious mind. And that's going to slow down or thwart your ability to manifest great love. Interesting. You know, I think we are so conditioned on what is beautiful and what is okay. 
what is what needs to be destroyed and what needs to be supported. And I remember once having this revelation of uh, similar to to you're looking at the veins. I remember once I was I was um, watching a swim swim lesson of my youngest daughter, and I was just looking down at the plants, and I noticed my judgment about weeds. I noticed that. I had this compulsion to pull a weed, but this other plant was okay, but the weed was not. And and it's so strange that it was so clearly in my indoctrination that one plant was worthy, one was not. And we do the same thing, exactly what you say, like aging. It's not okay to age. It's not okay to gray. It's not okay to be overweight or what it, even overweight, like there's an ideal weight. Um, so so there's so many things. You, you talked about clearing out false assumptions. Um, I'm all about clearing out false assumptions and indoctrinations. And some of them are so insidious. Some of them are so hard to see as, as much as, as like, like, like I said, the weed and the plant is like, why, why does one deserve life and the other does not? So what you're saying is part of this process is learning that we are really engaging and learning about our own inherent beauty, our own inherent beauty, our own inherent value, our own inherent power. Absolutely. And I'd love to give a tip here for those listening who don't have the time to take the online course on how you can change your own paradigm. So we have the cultural programming and the personal beliefs. So a paradigm is a collectively held model of reality. And so if you have the belief that you won't ever be able to find love, or you have the belief that you have to do it this way, that's not a very productive way, even though you have the inner urging and the desire for something different and something more fulfilling when it comes to your love relationships. If you have that and you realize I need to change this paradigm, whether it comes from the culture or if you have the own, your own internal programming that you notice, gosh, my parents got divorced. And now I just assume that all marriages will end in divorce or my father cheated, so I don't trust men. Or, you know, or I was the product of unmarried, uh, an unmarried couple. Or I don't know my father. Or, or I don't know my mother. Or whatever it is. Or you might have the fear that you might, uh, your mom might have died giving birth to you, and you might, you might be afraid to, you know, whatever the paradigm is that you know that you are concerned about that you want to change. Let me just give a few tips on how you can do that. So there's three aspects to changing a paradigm. The first one is through an emotional impact. If you have an experience that impacts you and impresses itself upon your soul, that could change you forever, right? So that's like by chance and that could happen and great. Second one is through repetition. And the third one is through accessing the subconscious mind. So if you want to change your paradigm, you need to repeat the new idea to yourself over and over and over. That's why you listen to the rules on an audio book over and over and over, which I did for many years, or listen to my book when it comes out on audio in the future over and over and over until it's ingrained in you and impressing. So that's a second one repetition. The third is accessing the subconscious mind. You can make your own recording of your vision all in the affirmative and listen to it when you're going to sleep, listen to it in your car, whatever you want, but set your vision for your life and really keep that. It's very important that it's written down, whether we're talking about love or uh, something else you want to manifest. 
uh, have it written down and listen to it audibly, preferably when you're going to sleep. And then all of your faculties, because you are a powerful creator, all of your faculties and life itself will, will organize around you achieving that vision. So I just wanted to give that little tidbit, but to learn more about that, you can join in my courses. That's great. Yeah, that's good to know. So I just, I want to get into kind of the roles in dating, but before I do that, I think what we're talking about doesn't just apply to dating. I, I think that women, even if they're in a relationship, it sounds to me like what you're offering here, these, these, these ways of changing false assumptions, you know, clearing out false assumptions and, and reclaiming your power that people can do that within the relationship they're in. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Whether you're married or single, this is really an important understanding for women to know that they set the course for their life. And you have to deprogram yourself in terms of your old beliefs about marriage. If you feel, well, first of all, if it is your ideal to be married, great. But if you're staying in a marriage that you are giving all of your energy away to your husband and you feel like you are nothing without a man um, and you're being harmed in some way, or it's holding you back from living your best life, that is a problem. I mean, hopefully before women get married, they find their ability to direct their lives. I know that isn't always the case, but this is definitely something you can apply if you're already married and your husband's taking you for granted. Go out with some friends more frequently. Go to the spa. Develop a, ha a hobby. That's why in the rules it says, if you think you met the man of your dreams, this is the time to go get your MBA. This is the time to be unavailable. <laughs> you know, this is, so it's, that's, that always continues. And even if you are more of a traditional homemaker and your focus is the home or caring for children, or you have some more traditional roles, you still must have a life of your own. And that's why in the principles that I teach, it's really about keeping God, as you define it, the main thing, because when God comes first, you're fulfilled in that way. What gets women into trouble is when they make the man their God or the goals of the husband, your God, instead of really um, being more focused on yourself, because it's natural for women to give. And we call it the overgiving mother is the archetype that Reverend Ava Park taught me. The overgiving mother is an aspect in women that's been cultivated more recently. Um, but given our nature to give and because we care, we try to help everyone. And even when it comes to dating, try to help men date you. Like, no, I don't have, you don't need to pick me up and pay and all these things. You don't need to open the door. Let me help you. No, no, you need to sit back and let him take care of you. And the same thing when it comes to if you're already married is, to have your own interests. That's what makes you magnetic. What a bore if you're stuck in the same room with someone all day long, every day, you know, every year. That's why that's why marriages do die. You get on each other's nerves. And the way to make not the only way, but one of the ways that you maintain a great relationship is to have your own person, your own individual self. Yes, you have the relationship, but you also have things that you love and you do for yourself. And that's why I love Aphrodite's archetype because she returns to her spiritual time. She goes to the waters to renew her virginity and virginity 
doesn't mean celibacy. It actually means a woman who is self-possessed. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think, I think this idea of God coming first is key to happiness in every, every aspect of life, because then we don't need anybody, anybody to really fill us. It's like, we're full. We're full. We are, we have, we are, we are, we're each one of us is completely equipped by the divine. And so this kind of need, like we talked about earlier, to get some or to to fill fill something, or you fulfill my you fulfill me. I know I do wedding ceremonies, and I I always say you do not complete each other. <laughs> I actually say that in the ceremony. You are two you are two complete holes. You do not complete each other um, because I think that's that's that kind of I need I need you to feel whole. But if you're really good with God, and if you really you've put spirit, your higher self, your you know the creative. It, it first that that's that's your primary relationship then everything else kind of falls into place after that so um we probably have about 10 minutes or so do you want to where do you want to go do you want to get into the roles of men and women in dating or do you want to go somewhere else sure yeah i would love that yeah so i actually i'd love to talk about neediness because and why you have to fill yourself up first and some of the perils of my peers so what i've seen in a lot of my friends and something that I feel like I was trained to do too, was to make men the focus of my life. And, um, that's the, I'd say that's the number one complaint. Would you agree with me, Carol, that that's one of the number one things that men complain about, about women that pushes them away is neediness. Oh, neediness is a big, is a big problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that's why, so why well, the does, perception, the perception that they, they, they're too needy. Yeah. Right. So why does that happen? Why I want to explore for a minute, why that's so dangerous, what you can do to fix it and where it comes from. So it comes from a few different places. It comes from our cultural traditions. I mean, pardon me, our cultural conditioning, the conditioning that you need a man. Okay. So we are born into a world as much as feminist theory has advanced, maybe, and some advances have been made for women's sense of self, right? We have social, political, and economic equality somewhat. Uh, we have that before the law, right? That's what feminism was about, social, economic, and political equality, okay? So we have that. But the biggest gap for women is in the realm of confidence. And that's really why I developed the Aphrodite way was because I felt like I had everything I need to create the life I wanted, but I still felt like I was kind of obsessed with finding a husband. And I also felt like people treated me differently and they do, but I've had to reconcile that for myself that I'm single. Um, there, There is this facade and a lot of messaging in our culture about the ideal of being in a couple. And I do believe humans are designed for marriage and for companionship, for companionship at least, right? Marriage mm-hmm. is more societal, but mm-hmm. but we are designed to be with people and women and men are designed for each other and to create a life together. So that's beautiful and wonderful. But because many women have are exposed to a lot of media and love stories and all these things that tell us that that is going to be our sense of joy in life is our life with our husband. Well, then what happens when he dies, if he dies before you, or what happens if there's a a tragedy strikes and 
um, sadly, there's a divorce. I mean, that is horrible, but these things do happen. Who are you then on your own? And that's why it's really important for us to get to the bottom of our reliance on others. So it's an external reference point. So this is really deep work one must do to become self-referencing, self-defined. And um, so women used to, so there's two ways to change the neediness behavior. One is to understand the deeper teachings first, understand why and, and that you fill yourself up and you put God first, you have a rich life already. So if a man comes along, great, but you're already being your fabulous self. And then you're not um, doing all the things that would annoy him and turn him off. So you figure it out and you could be what we would call more of a natural rules girl. For others of us, you have to learn all the don'ts. And by doing the don'ts, by not calling him first, not talking to men first, by mm, acting kind of blasé or more blasé than you are trained to be, because my sense of women um, nowadays is, although they may not show it, a lot of us are like eager puppies, like so ready to like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this, going to do that, going to get the guy. Um, And it's like, no, you are the queen and he comes to you. So you need to learn the rules to cool your jets and slow down. And so the rules are things like he doesn't get to see you more than once or twice a week until you're married because men must learn from courting you that the only way he gets to see you at the last minute, whenever he wants is to marry you. Mm. So there's a lot of ways to overcome the neediness and by doing, by following some of the rules that teach you to hold back, to be hard to get, if you're not naturally hard to get, I feel, and I've experienced that by doing the rules that, oh my goodness. So I'm doing these rules, right? And then this other aspect of myself that wanted to become more self-developed that wanted to honor spiritual principles, such as you can't change men, you can't change people, you can't control people. It's a very nice parallel path that if you if you haven't uh, naturally, if you are very externally referenced, then, and you do the rules, these just simple behaviors that you can learn or like force yourself to do, then your spiritual path accelerates because you realize, you know what? God's in charge or goddess or whatever you believe in. And And I'm not going to try to change a man. The right man's coming to me. And you can kind of sit back and be more like the sun where the planets rotate around you. Don't be like a busy bee chasing men, but just sit back, relax, and really conserve your energy for the most important things in life. This is so different than what we've all been conditioned I don't even know if we've been trained, but this idea of um, it really comes back to self empowerment. Like I am, I am, I am, I am the sun. I, I, I am worthy. And so, um, anybody who is interested in being in relationship with me, you know, I, I, I'm holding the court. You know, it's like that. And we've talked about this before, but it reminded me of a video which I will put on the podcast page for this of the birds of paradise and the birds of paradise are birds. I think they're in central or South America and their mating ritual is so interesting to watch because the female bird is exactly that. She's just holding her power and she's just on the branch and she's just sitting there and the, the, 
the the males come up and they do their dance and they strut their stuff and she's kind of she's kind of holding court. She's kind of like next, mm-hmm. <laughs> the next one comes, and and it's it's in nature and it's so beautiful. So and also you know she's just a basic bird. They're the ones that are doing all this dance and and really kind of making their feathers you know, magnas- magnanimous and beautiful. And look at me. And we do things so differently. We're, we're like completely, we have that upside down. I think we live in a very upside down world. But I think the whole courting scene is very upside down in the way that many w- women or most allow the men to kind of sit back and let me put this on, let me don this and let me be beautiful for you. And you'll notice me and not her. And we, it's completely upside down. And I think what you're saying is we, ke- we as women retain our power and but it's not it's not just for women right i think this is also good for men in in that they also come in a in a powerful way that's not just that's not cheapening of themselves and that's not not um overly physicalizing and 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 having this kind of power play because i think they're when they're restored also to that they're the suitor or they're they're the the pursuer um I, I think that there's something just a lot more natural about that that we've kind of fallen away from. And maybe we can learn a lot from the birds of paradise. Yes. Yes. I'd love to talk about that. So for men, they grow and they are at their best when they work hard for something. Mm-hmm. And it brings out courtship, brings out the best in men. And what you are describing about the birds of paradise, that's exactly it is the female is the one who decides. And it's very important to understand that what we might call femininity, for me, that means relating to women, and it means nothing about passivity, but femininity and making making decisions is not passive. It's incredibly important and it's active. I want you to think about the president of the United States in her office And she's sitting there, that beautiful desk, calm, poised, or a queen. People come in and run things by her. She makes the decisions. That is power. That is what the egg, when it comes to reproduction, does. This idea of female passivity in making the decision of her mate has been misconstrued as weak, as waiting as part of female inferiority. There is no more important aspect of life than the decisions we make. So yes, just like the sun and how the planets rotate around it, just like the flower and the bees come and pollinate, we as women get to make these choices. And that actually is very significant it's not more or less important than male's role. And you did mention the empowerment that lies in this for men. And it's really important for us to, as women, reconcile what we've been taught in terms of femininity and its connection with weakness. Because if you think that it's weak to sit back and relax and wait and take the time to really judge and sift through what's happening. If you think the best thing is to jump into action, reply to that text right away. If you have that energy, that's taking you away from your life. 
And we have an energy crisis for men and women. The dissolution, the, um, what's the word for it? Um, not dissolving. It's like the, we are diminishing male and female potential in the world by the being obsessed with sex in when it comes to singles there's a real obsession and it's it's actually also um preventing us from doing the greater work in the world because if you think about male energy men like i said grow when it comes they become their best when it comes to courtship right and it's just the natural way that the woman waits for or you know receives her suitors and that kind of thing but when female energy is focused on dating with no vision then she's spending the majority of her lifetime if that's a focus for her like it is in sex in the city and shows like that she's just frittering her energy here and there and here and there focused on men rather than thinking about the larger issues of life and if a man makes finding the perfect trophy wife his life mission you know so that he can compete with other men in terms of showing off all the things that he acquired in this lifetime if he focuses on that then his energy as well his beautiful spiritual power is being thwarted and that is power and energy and self-awareness and wisdom that is inside of every single person that we need in order to create a better world so it's not only about each person getting to live their own vision of love but it's also about the larger work of creating a better world is that we need this energy this human energy to be focused on the things that matter most there's all these teachings i don't know if you're familiar with the ojas so the have you heard of the ojas mm-hmm. no okay no. the ojas it's o j a s the ojas is the female i mean sorry it's the human energy the ojas is your energy field so it's not just prana but it's actually how much life force energy you have to give to things. Yes, okay. And because the scripts the script the texts we have come from a more male oriented tradition, they focus on the man, but it talks about the diminishment of male energy by um spilling his seed. Yes. So if you're unhealthy as a man, it's important to conserve your semen. And this is also part of celibacy and all these other more esoteric spiritual practices. But it's the same thing for women. It's a lot of energy to have sex with strangers. <laughs> it's a lot of energy to put yourself out there in all the ways that so many women are indoctrinated into doing nowadays. And not just the sex act, but also the the pursuing of men. Women are natural givers. And so the man has to work to get you because you're always going to make his life as good as you can. That's what we do. We see something that needs to get fixed and and we're like, "Oh, let me fix that for you. May I get you a water? May I get you some tea?" I believe that's our natural inclination of as women is to help others. So to create right relationship later on when you're actually married, the man has to work hard up front so that you can be sure he's going to continue to value you because if he didn't work hard, he's going to discard you. Mm. Or more likely to. Yeah. 
right. not treat you right, those types of things. Yeah. Well, Charlotte, you've shared a lot, a lot of wisdom and, and we have to come to a close now. So I want to give you the opportunity to tell everyone about your online course or whatever else you want to, you want to close with. Thanks, Reverend Carol. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, so I am launching the maiden voyage of the Dating the Aphrodite Way course. You can sign up at datingtheaphroditeway.com. And I've given many presentations on these teachings over the years, but this is going to be an actual um, virtual course where you can join in. We'll also have some live calls. So if you just sign up for the email list, you'll get all the updates you need. And that's going to be beginning in the new year, 2023. And I just want to invite each of you to always remember your divinity and to know that you are the director of your destiny. You can have the most beautiful life and we are all blessed by your presence on this planet. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. I think you exude that. And I really look forward to your book coming out. And um, thank you so much for being with me today and generously sharing your wisdom. Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. Yes. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.